Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. You people are everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I can't talk about anything and. Without somebody being like, ooh, I could snap a picture right now of the side of the road and there would be a sign that Carmen just talked about. Yeah, yeah. So thank you to the person who was passing by exit 216. Um, and this brown sign says Fires of 1918 Museum. It's uh, Moose Lake Cloquet Fires. You guys are amazing. Like, that's amazing. So this text on the text line says, well, we were just driving by this. While you were talking about the fire in Cloquet, Minnesota, the museum is in a small town south of Cloquet called Moose Lake. Yeah, Moose Lake is one of the towns um, uh, affected. Um, You guys are amazing. Wherever you are this morning, thank you so much for being here with me. I love that. Wherever you are, I love that we're together. So thank you so much. Um, Yes, and be careful snapping those pictures out the window. It's only safe for the passenger to do so, you know. All those good things. This is a reason you should ride with somebody so that you can so that that person can take pictures and send them to me while you're driving. There you go. I I don't think I've ever advocated before for carpooling, but now we'll we'll call it Carmen pooling and you should do it so that I can have pictures of what you're looking at when I'm when we're talking together. How do you like you like that, Paul? Carmen pooling? Yeah, well, it goes with the carmination kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The whole carmination could be Carmen pooling. There we go. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's pool our wisdom here for just a moment. Okay, um, I told you, I think on Friday, it might have been Thursday, probably Friday, to pray for a guy named Oliver Anthony because he just like sprung onto my radar and I was predicting that uh, a lot of people were going to take notice of him. And that has happened. Uh, Virginia factory worker has become an overnight sensation after a video of him performing a soulful rendition of his blue collar anthem went viral. So, Um, I lift this up because he is a fairly new Christian. And you and I both know the challenges that we face when, um, when fame comes. And fame has come quickly, overnight. Um, and again, I, I want us to be praying for him. That's it. Just asking that you be praying for Oliver Anthony as God opens before him these incredible opportunities that his heart would be guarded, that his mind would be guarded, that his, his marriage would be guarded. His children would be guarded. Um, yeah, that God would use him as he clearly wants to, and that in, in the midst of all of that, uh, he would be guarded against temptation and, um, and threat of every kind. One headline to share with you uh, this morning, um, and again, to make this a matter of prayer. Um, and let me say, as I shared this, if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, um, or know someone who is. 988 is the nationwide three-digit number now available. You can call it, you can text it, 988, um, to get to get some help. Uh, the United States sees the highest number of suicides in 2022, 
49,500 people took their own lives last year in the United States. It's the highest number ever, according to um, new data posted at the end of last week. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention posted the numbers. They haven't yet calculated the rate for the year, but the data that is available suggests that suicides are more common in the United States than in any time since the beginning of World War II. And so uh, we recognize that um, this is a complicated and difficult subject matter, but you don't have to look very far to find someone um, who has experienced this in their immediate family, in their immediate circle of friends, at their church, at their place of work. And so let's be tender with one another today. Um, Sometimes when these statistics come out, you know, the reality is that's 50,000 families across the country who experienced this last year. That's 50,000 potentially neighborhoods, houses of worship, um, places of work, friend groups. And so there's a lot of people who, when you, when you have a statistic like this, there's just a lot of people who remember a person who. And so um, maybe let's prepare ourselves to have those conversations today. Hey, how does this, how does this affect you? You got somebody in your life um, who took their own life. I mean, you know, let's, let's talk about that. That's not a, that's not a pain that that goes away. That's not a darkness that easily lifts. So let's be the people who stand in that gap today with our neighbors, um, with our families, and with our friends. Dr. Linda Mental is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, how we function, how we, um, how we focus, how we speak when God seems silent. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is back. You can listen to her on the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also find her online, what she is writing, drlindamental.com. That's where I found this post, When God Seems Silent. Linda, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again, Carmen. How are yeah. you doing? I, uh, I'm, I'm well. I'm well. It's, uh, you know, it's a frenetic time, but I'm, I'm good. Good. Yeah, how about you? Well, I've been uh, enjoying, I'm glad we're talking about this, I've been enjoying in my Sunday school class, we're doing a series on prayer and different parts of prayer. And it's been really, really great and challenging at times. And so this is where this piece came as I was uh, thinking about it and talking about it. And I started reading a book, I haven't gotten very far into it, but we've been using the materials of someone named Peter Grieg. I don't know if you know that name. But he is someone who has written a, a lot about prayer and talks about prayer. I believe he lives in London, but he wrote a book called God on Mute. And that was uh, the book that I was starting as I was grappling with this in my own life in terms of thinking of all the number of people that we've prayed for times in my life when God seems silent. And I use that word seems because we know ultimately that he's not but we're not always part of the perspective that he gives. And so we don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. And we have to, at those times, really, really trust God in the process. All right. Well, after you finish um, God on Mute, you should check out his book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. It's really good. Yeah. It's really yeah, good. It's well. a great series. We've, we've actually been doing it's the so videos. Good. There's a video series. Oh, it's fun. so good. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so good to yeah. know. Um, all right. Well, so when God seems silent, where um, where do we start this conversation? Like, I think we've all been there. We all have experienced right. times when we're like, hello, knock, knock, knock. I mean, are you there, God? It's me, Carmen. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had those those dark night of the soul um, times in my life. You know, I had that when my brother was killed. Um, I didn't really understand. I couldn't couldn't see any great purpose for this, and um, we continued to to pray and wonder why that happened. And that's one of the questions that people naturally ask. And then when I went through seven years of infertility, I mean, that was a long time, Carmen. It was seven years of trusting God, believing God. Uh, wondering when and if this was ever going to happen, believing in my heart that it was at some point. I felt like at some point down about five years into the process, I, I felt like I had sort of a word from God that it was going to happen. But it was it was a long, long journey. And I know that month to month, I would just have to really work at not putting myself in despair because mm. it wasn't happening. And I, I even had a group at church. I don't know if I've said this before, but we had a group. I formed a group at church and we had seven other women who were going through infertility and one by one, they all got pregnant and I was mm. left by myself. And I thought, well, I can't have a group with myself. So I guess I just continue to pray and stand fast and, Sure enough, it was a long, long time, but it it resulted in the adoption of a son, which I would not have thought of any other way, who I'm so glad and I love. I mean, I can't imagine our lives without him. And then eventually the birth of my daughter biologically. So God did answer that prayer, but it was seven years. And as I read in the Bible, you know, I, I think about, I read a lot about people like Job, who never got an answer from God, never was told what was happening. In fact, got somewhat chided by God for not trusting him in the process. And then, you know, I was very into the Psalms and reading uh, the Psalms where David is crying out, God, don't be silent. Don't hold your peace. Don't be still. Talk to me. How long? That, That verse, how long, Lord, really became one of the cries of my heart as we were going through that. And of course, we look at the suffering of Jesus, and we know that Jesus even had an answer prayer. He he prayed in the garden, you know, can you not take this cup from me? And on the cross, why have you forsaken me? And, you know, I, even his prayer today of the church being in unity, Jesus prayed that the church would be unified. That That is an unanswered prayer at this time. So we have lots of examples in the Bible to help us through that time. But ultimately, it really does come down to trusting God no matter what. And what I like about uh, some of the things that I've been reading and hearing is the reminder that God is silent, but silence doesn't mean absence. And that's what we have to keep focused on. Silence does not mean absence. Um, And I think if we can settle in on the character of God and what we know from him— in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, if we can look at the testimony and the witness of those who did wait on the Lord, um, who did experience, after long periods of time, um, they experienced that God was faithful. God was true to his word. God keeps his word. God is never late, even when it seems like he is delayed. Um, and I think about uh, Mary and Martha and how they must have wondered about the goodness of Jesus, who could have come immediately when right. he learned that their brother Lazarus was was sick and dying, and instead Jesus lingered, he waited, he delayed from our view. But, you know, Jesus knew that he intended to raise Lazarus from the dead in order that he could reveal himself to be the resurrection and the life. So if you are waiting right now, in a season of waiting, um, for God to 
reveal himself, to show up, to make good on promises, um, to be the promise keeper. We want to invite you today to acknowledge that um, silence does not mean absence. God is there. God is faithful. God is good. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Are there times in your life, maybe you're in one right now, when it seems like God is silent? You know what God has promised, but he's not making good on that promise, at least from your perspective. What do we do in the midst of, where, of, of waiting, of waiting on God? Um, Dr. Linda Mental is here. We're talking about a piece she has posted um, on her blog, drlindamental.com, When God Seems Silent. Linda, um, are there some other places that we can turn to, other characters in Scripture who, who can provide some testimony on this front? Well, there are several, and there's several um, verses. There's also Psalm 88, which would be a good one. I I would tell people to read as well. But the one that I, the story that I really love, because it really gives us a behind the scenes, uh, behind the scenes uh, sort of look. And I know that Job is the same way. We know when we read the the story of Job that God is got to deal with Satan, and that there is a there's something going on in the heavenlies, um, but Job never finds that out. And I always was so frustrated with that as a child. I used to say, why didn't God just tell him what was going on? But in Daniel, if you look at it in Daniel, God, Daniel does find out why there is such a delay. So in Daniel 10, he was waiting for an answer to prayer. And he waited three weeks for God to answer. And when the answer finally arrived, it was accompanied by an angel who told Daniel, that God heard his prayer immediately. So it wasn't like there was some delay in the signal. And, uh, and, w- and one of the things I said that unanswered prayers sometimes feel like we've lost our Wi-Fi, that, you know, the signal goes out and then we're so not connected to anything and we feel so alone and like we can't function. I know I can't work if I don't have my Wi-Fi. But in this case, it wasn't a signal problem. Things were going on. God knew and he had answered that prayer. The scripture says immediately and then he dispatched his messenger to tell them the angel was delayed by intense spiritual warfare that was going on for 21 days. In fact, the scripture says that there there had to be reinforcements called in, and he enlisted the archangel Michael to help with that battle. So when this is all said, and we find out what was going on, and we don't always think about the spiritual warfare that is going on behind the scenes, that God is working and moving and dealing with things in the heavenlies, um, but that that was why there seemed to be such delay. God wasn't silent at all. He had answered that prayer. And so that gives me great hope when I, I can't see it. And, you know, I can't underscore, even for someone who's mature in their faith, when it just doesn't seem like there is an answer coming. 
and you are required to stand, to be still, to, you know, continue your your connection with God when it doesn't seem like there's anything on the other side of that. But again, to remind yourself that our prayers are heard. They're heard. They just don't always get answered in the way that we think they should. And I, Isaiah reminds us of that, Carmen, when he says, God doesn't forget us as our names are written on his hands. And that's just such an intimate sign to me that God's, God knows every hair on my head. He's got my name written on his hands. He knows what's going on with me. And it's hard for us as people to really think of God up there somewhere having such an intimate connection with us. But that's what the enemy would like us to think, that God doesn't really care for us. He's not really uh, working in our lives. And yet, as we constantly renew our mind with that truth, that silence is not absence, that God is working things through this difficulty that I can't even see. And when I when I had the opportunity to adopt my son at birth, I would have never been in that position had I not gone through all those years of infertility and that joy and that looking back and thinking, maybe this was the delay. Maybe this was part of it. Maybe this was because that baby was supposed to be in our family. But sometimes you don't even know. Sometimes you have no answer. And and in the case of my brother's death, I can't really tell you what the purpose behind that was. I don't really know. It, It sent me on a trajectory into the field that I'm in today. I was a pre-law student prior to that. So I maybe that was it. Maybe God used that circumstance to move me. But I, I really don't have answers for that. And I don't think at times we do have answers. And I think we have to be okay with that because we can't see the perspective of God. We can't see it. The whole, you know, the, the analogy of the quilt. We can't see the whole thing. We can only sometimes see those strands and those threads. And sometimes we see a few of them woven together, but God has the big picture. And ultimately it comes down to me trusting that he is a good God and that I have to stand on that no matter what. And that's not always easy, but it's what we have to do. That's so good. We can't see the whole, um, we can only see strands. Some of them are dark. Um, We know that. Silence does not mean absence. Just because we can't see what God is doing doesn't mean God is not working out his purposes. Um, I think about the 300 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. I mean, 300 years of intertestamental silence. 300 years people waited um, for God to do what God had promised to do. 300 years. I mean, that's, you know, that that's more than a lifetime. Um, so there are people who were born, who prayed for a lifetime, who died, Um and another generation prayed for a lifetime and died, and on and on and on, and 300 years. Um, and then we have John the Baptist and, and the declaration of Jesus and, and the deliverance uh, in, a, in a way that people had not, for which they had not prayed um, and were not ready. And yet it was the way that God was um, contending with the sin of, of humanity and delivering the gospel. Uh, I'm going to leave us here with Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So as you pray today and God seems silent, 
um, I would invite you to claim the truth that he's not slow to fulfill his promise. His delay is for a purpose. And there are some times in the midst of asking why that we have to start asking what for. Linda, thank you so much, as always, for joining us today and walking with us in the Word of God uh, as we walk in the world that he so loves. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com, and you can listen to her program here um, on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Let's take a moment for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, the COVID is apparently, you know, back on a next tour, a next round. Um, our friend uh, who was with us on Friday, Chris Martin, shared with us that he he has COVID for the first time. So we're continuing to praying for his praying for his uh, recovery. The World Health Organization announced that the new EG five variant of Omicron. So officially, it's called Eris, E-R-I-S, if you, you know, see that floating around, uh, is now the dominant strain in the United States, causes a relatively modest uptick in hospitalizations. It says, new variant, not currently a cause for concern. (laughs) Yeah, so we have moved from pandemic to endemic, which means we're just now living with it. It's just now a part of life. Um, Here's another part of life to be lifting up in your prayers today. Uh, the average 30-year mortgage is now, I mean, just a scotch, uh, four one-hundredths of a percent under 7%. So lots of mortgages out there being offered at 8% and higher. A An average 30-year mortgage now sits at 6.96%. That means, you know, that's the average. That means there's a lot of them being offered higher than that. Um, that is uh, a nearly two-decade high. It has risen for uh, each of the three last consecutive weeks. Um, and so if you are in the market for a home or you need to refinance, like this is this is a challenging day and time. Uh, and so uh, it also this also affects um, interest rates also affect uh, how quickly uh, you and I are accumulating consumer debt. Um, because it compounds upon itself. And you, maybe you've noticed that. You, you say, you know, I used to not be terribly uncomfortable with my level of consumer debt. And now it looks like it's compounding very, very quickly. Yep, that is, uh, that's what happens when interest rates rise. And so I know you're feeling the pinch. I'm feeling the pinch. Um, let's, uh, let's be giving where we can in the midst of this season and, um, and taking care of those um, for whom this isn't just a financial pinch, but they've actually reached the pinch point. And let's uh, let's let's be thankful and grateful and um, and helpful where we can. Let's talk about the beatitudes. Um, you have heard them referred to as the be happy attitudes. Is that what they're about, or are we talking about the upside down kingdom? Is Jesus seeking to describe what it would look like? What it would look like were our prayer to be answered, that God would actually have his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What kind of kingdom are you imagining if the kingdom of our God should become the kingdom in which we live here and now? We're going to take the Beatitudes into focus, and we're going to do that with Chris Castaldo. He's the author of The Upside Down Kingdom. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. (music) 
Chris Costaldo is joining us. He's a pastor at New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. Um, And he comes to us uh, today with a new book, The Upside Down Kingdom. We're going to talk about the Beatitudes. And yes, we've got copies to give away. I'm going to go ahead and tell you here on the front end. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Chris, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you. Okay, so sometimes we hear the Beatitudes of Jesus at the opening of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Sometimes we hear them referred to, you know, as the Be Happy Attitudes. Um, that is that is not the tact. Uh, that's not the approach. That's not the look we're taking today. Tell us about the Upside Down Kingdom and your perspective on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are an invitation to relationship with God, intimacy with God. You're exactly right. Very often when they are interpreted, it's in terms of how are we happy? How do we satisfy our desires? But the Beatitudes are like a, a plowshare. They, they drive into the soil of our heart. They portray what life is supposed to be like. And in so doing, they draw us into a, a deeper understanding of Christ and his kingdom. I like this um, this visual of a of a of a plowshare. Um, this tilling tilling the soil of a human heart, or tilling um, tilling things up, like that's a little painful, right? This is not this is not as if the uprooting or inbreaking of God's kingdom principles is necessarily easy in terms of um, its integration into the reality of life. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was watching a, a program recently about the dredging of a river. You know, they send these units down to the bottom in, in order to scrape it clean. And I, as I watched it, I thought, boy, if this river had feelings and emotions, it would be crying right now because it's a violent act. But it's what's necessary in order for life to grow. Um, and so it is with us. The The Beatitudes are the instrument by which God reveals the illicit attachments of our heart and brings us into a place where purity of heart is a real option. So let's um let's dive in a little bit. The upside down kingdom, first of all, like the title of the book suggests to me that the inbreaking kingdom of God is not just like supplemental to my life, but radically different from what I have come to expect. Yeah, uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 begins to preach the kingdom, the good news, and he says, repent, this kingdom is in your midst, speaking of himself. And then, just as you said, Carmen, the, the opening statement of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a picture of what it's like. So he talks about poverty of spirit and mourning and meekness and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and peacemaking, activities that I suggest are altogether countercultural today. And yet, it's in those places, it's in those activities where we encounter the living Christ. So I want to dive in um, to some of these more deeply and have you share with us a little so that we can <clears throat> taste and see. Um, which is one of the chapters and something I love to say here um, on the air. We, we want to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we want to help others taste and see it as well. Um, and so we're talking again with Chris uh, Castaldo. He is, among other things, the author of The Upside Down Kingdom. We are giving away copies of the book today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, let's, um, let's dive in a little bit here. Um, 
I think that gentleness in a hostile world is something everybody desires. It's incredibly countercultural. We believe in one who is the peace that passes all understanding. He is uh, the very prince of peace. We want to imagine he's lord of our lives, and yet we are as we match the world. We match the world in its hostility. Yeah, uh, particularly in this cultural moment where we uh, so easily look at the cultural other as an enemy. And it's a zero-sum game. One person has to win. Another has to lose. That's not the vision of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus came, as it says in John 1.14, full of grace and truth. Um, it's a self-giving love. So that's what meekness is all about, for example. It's, it's a strength governed by the Holy Spirit in pursuit of God's purposes. And what are his purposes? In order to reflect his his character in a way that draws lost people closer to salvation. Okay, so that suggests that if that's God's purpose, then that suggests as a person given over to God, that's my purpose. That's a different way of seeing um, individual the the sort of individualized way we have approached salvation and who it's for and what it's about. So. What you are suggesting is that the Beatitudes are not just about me having a happy life, but being used as a person who is a living demonstration of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of the earth. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, the the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, and then miraculously it brings forth fruit. And that's the, the calling to which we're called very different from the the world's understanding of meaning and purpose and value. Um, But it is the the place where we live the life of Christ, and that's our purpose. That's what it means to be a Christian. A little Christ is to follow his footsteps, to manifest his presence, and to proclaim to the world that he is Lord. So, um, Chris, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I know a lot of people who would describe themselves as Christians— who do not see this as their meaning nor their purpose. Um, they absolutely see God as, I mean, they, they wouldn't articulate it this way, but I will articulate it this way, um, that God is serving them in Jesus, not the other way around. Yeah, this is the gravitational pull of sin and selfishness that tugs on all of our souls every single day. And it's the message of culture that confronts us everywhere we turn. Uh, It was David Wells who said, worldliness is anything in culture that makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Well, that's where we live. And the center of that sin is the idolatry of self. But the the message of the Bible, the the Sermon on the Mountain, particularly the Beatitudes is, no, that's just upside down. The place Mm -hmm. where we encounter real life is in Christ and the Beatitudes show us the way to get there. So when you say that's just upside down, um, I think we're, you know, we, we're getting at, hel- at helping um, one another see that it's not as if you can just keep turning the lava lamp over or the, uh, the hourglass that drains the sand from one side to another. And you can't really tell up from down or down from up. Jesus helps us rightly see the order of things. Um, But his perspective is so radically different than the way we've been trained to see that it does look to us as if it's inverted. So um, when we come back, can you talk a little bit about 
um, when down is up. I know it's the epilogue of the book, but I think it's um, really helpful when um, when we're trying to see the water we're swimming in and we're trying to get oriented in the right direction. So could we do that, Chris? My pleasure. Chris Castaldo, uh, author of The Upside Down Kingdom. We're going to continue our conversation with him. You should text the word book to 877-933-2484. We've got copies to give away today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Reading from uh, chapter 5 of The Upside Down Kingdom. In the square of St. Petersburg, a young Fyodor Dostoevsky stood shivering in the snow alongside fellow convicts arrested for belonging to a literary circle considered treasonous. A priest carrying a cross led the convicts in a procession, arranging them in lines while their sentence was read, death by firing squad. But at the last second, a horseman arrived uh, with a prearranged message from the czar. Instead of execution, Nicholas, quote, mercifully commuted their sentences to hard labor. While boarding the convict train to the work camp in Siberia, Dostoevsky was given a copy of the only book he was permitted to read in prison, the New Testament. Over the next four years of his incarceration, he'd consider the injustices of the 19th century Russia in light of Christ's mercy. Um, Chris, um, talk with us about mercy. Um, Talk with us about mercy from the viewpoint of, of Jesus as he articulates it in the Beatitudes? What is he pointing to, and how do we live like that? God always acts in mercy. When we marshal power, we do so with uh, our arms flexed and with some kind of weapon in front of us. Think of Constantine and Tautanika, conquer by this, right? <laughs> That's what he saw emblazoned in the sky. And over the centuries, the church has followed that model. Jesus presents an alternative he, he, brings, he brings hope and mercy. So Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. That's who we are in Christ. And it, as we said earlier, Carmen, in this moment of history, where we're going for the jugular of the dear soul who happens to disagree with us on culture and politics or whatever, it's this quality of mercy that we must remember that must be the leading edge of our relationships. Um, I love this paragraph. It's stunning. Of all the qualities God might have stressed, his holiness, sovereignty, almighty power, he chose to highlight his tender heart of compassion. As mercy is of central importance to God, so it must be for us. Be merciful, Jesus says, even as your father is merciful, Luke 6, 36. Um, I don't think we could probably say enough. I don't think we could linger too long on this particular um, beatitude um, because it does seem as if mercy is regarded as weakness and even foolishness in the world today. This is, this is definitely an upside-down kingdom principle. Yeah, I was recently in Italy doing some research. I went to Florence, and there, of course, you have Michelangelo Bonarotti's great uh, David. And one of the things I learned is David's stat- the statue of David is 17 feet tall, and the Italians call it Il Gigante, the giant. Now stop and think about that for a moment. 
little David slew the giant Goliath. But when we created David, what do we do? We make mm. him giant. I, I think that illustrates the, the inclination of humanity that makes mercy so difficult. Um, you say, with the global church, we, ca- we cry, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. I mean, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. That has been the cry of the church. But we have not done a very good job showing mercy to others, um, even though we cry out for it ourselves. And that's where it starts. Yeah, the mercy that we must extend to others comes from the recognition that we ourselves have been forgiven. We are recipients of mercy. That's what motivates the human heart to have compassion and steadfast love. I have a friend, Cecilia, who came to faith later in life, and she's a real evangelist. And I said, Cece, where do you get that passion for evangelism? Here's the image she used. For so long, I was like a person in a dark cave. And one day when I heard the gospel, I stepped out from the cave. And it was as though I'm staring into the brightness of the noonday sun, blinking, trying to get perspective. That's how I live, looking at the wonder of God's mercy that he would love me. And that perspective motivates me to share it with others. Um, Everything from... um the poverty that makes one rich to the loss that becomes gain um, to seeing God. Let's, um, let's touch for a moment here, Chris, on peace be with you. When, when Jesus talks about peace and who the peacemakers are, and he is the peace, what, where, where do you see this taking us um, as the church today? In order to give peace, we must first receive it and experience it ourselves. Uh, I sometimes think of the the words of Michel de Montaigne, the philosopher, who said, my life has been full of terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. The idea is we're all so anxious. We're all thinking about the, the catastrophes that can befall us, and we're bereft of peace. And Jesus says, first, I want you to have my peace. I give it to you as a gift. You need not be anxious. And then once you possess that gift, you are able to, in turn, share it with others. And of course, there are all sorts of ways we do that in families, in churches, and among our neighbors and friends. Yeah, I mean, to know, to know Jesus is to know peace. And um, I mean, no, I guess as the little saying goes, you know, in O Jesus, in O peace. Um, and I, I do, I, I know that that is simplistic, but there is some of this that is a little simplistic. If we would just allow ourselves to um, to turn it over, and that's what you have done in the Upside Down Kingdom. Um, so maybe what's the one takeaway you want to be sure we don't miss today? And if it's a story, all the better. Yeah, I was recently with an intern who asked, uh, what would you say is the greatest challenge of the church today? And and suddenly all of these examples of conflict and strife that I, as a pastor, observe in the life of the church came to mind. But there was one issue that rose above all the others, and it's partisan strife. Particularly Mm -hmm. as we enter this election year, it's so easy for us to pull the pin out of the rhetorical hand grenade and lob it over the fence. And it seems to me that the devil is cackling. He's delighted when he sees Christians angry and bitter and fighting. And I think we need to find a way to speak the truth and do so in love, to uphold righteousness 
but to do it Christianly with that heart of mercy and peacemaking and meekness. If we're going to radiate the hope of Christ in this cultural moment, then we need to capture that vision and we need to make it the priority that guides us each day. Hey, if I uh, if I Google a map of Naperville, Illinois, and I ask it to identify all the churches, this is a, a, a community that looks like it's got a fair number of worshiping Christian communities. Um, do you have some good news to share with us about maybe how the church is working collaboratively in your in your city for the advance of the gospel? Yeah, I uh, received a grant from the Templeton Foundation, which allows me to gather pastors in the area. So I have several who meet here every couple of months. We have lunch, particularly during these last three years, when all of us have been at the end of ourselves, (laughs) to be praying, to be dialoguing about what discipleship looks like. Um, That's been the centerpiece of our unity as, as pastors, at least. And it has been a lifeline for so many of us. That's awesome. I love that. I'm so glad I asked. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for shepherding your people well. Um, Thank you for the offering today of the Upside Down Kingdom. If you're listening and you're interested in a copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484. The Upside Down Kingdom. It's um, it's It's an examination of the Beatitudes and um, it's a, a different way than maybe you have looked at them before, but you will, through it, cultivate a new identity rooted in Christ and be able to live as a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is going to be my back-to-school assignment. Um, do you already have a like back-to-school supply list? Um, If you don't, I've shared this with you before. It's just an idea. If you don't have anybody this year that you were um, sort of in charge of buying school supplies for, you should still go buy school supplies and take them to your local school. Um, They are distributing them to kids as they have need. So, you know, just do that. Like, that's a good thing to just go and do. Um, And then I want to make an assignment uh, to you today. I want you to think about... Something good, something positive that's happening in your community might be through your church, might be through a Christian you know, might be through some um, through some organization or individual. And I want to I want to start hearing your good news stories, your wow God stories, your only God could have done that kind of stories, um, and the small hidden ones as well. Not not I'm not asking you to show me in your right hand, what your left hand is doing. But it's okay to tell on other people. Um, if you catch someone doing good, um, I'd like to know the story and maybe share the story. So you can always text me, 877-933-2484, or you can email me, carmen at myfaithradio.com. Um, we love to tell the story, and one of the ways that um, people hear the story of Jesus is by hearing the stories of Jesus' people today. So who's being Jesus-y out there? Why don't you tell on them? Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.